Welcome to the Starnet Regions 1 and 3 podcast. Illinois Starnet envisions a future where early childhood professionals and families have the supports needed to provide all children with a high-quality, equitable education in inclusive environments. Starnet's mission is to promote evidence-based inclusive practices for young children with disabilities, professional development to support educators and families, meaningful child outcomes through innovative and engaging learning experiences. To find out more about Starnet Regions 1 and 3, please visit starnet.org home. Welcome. My name is Emily Riley, and I'm the Assistant Project Director with Starnet Regions 1 and 3 and the host for our podcast series on developmentally appropriate practices, where we've been exploring the fourth edition of the DAP position statement, as well as the recently published book that goes along with that. Um, So today's episode, we are focusing on equitable play spaces and inquiry-based learning um, to support multilingual learners with disabilities. Lindsay Meeker, Director of the Center for Best Practices in Early Childhood and faculty member in early childhood education at Western Illinois University, has worked in programs and supported educators in using play and inquiry-based strategies to support um, development for children. So welcome, Lindsay. Thanks for joining me today. I'm excited to be here. So it's exciting that we're talking about play because it's my favorite thing, um, but also making that those play spaces equitable, right? Because if we don't all have access, then the benefits don't happen for everybody. So when when um, when you reached out to me, actually, I thought, what, which, which part of developmentally appropriate practice doesn't this meet? Um, because it's truly, if you're having child-led play spaces and you're thinking about how those integrate with content um, and you're providing those inquiry-based opportunities for launch, then you're meeting so many of those core considerations. I think one that stands out to me is kind of that, that um, the ability for kids to socially and culturally like engage together and make those connections. Um, the other piece that stood out to me as being um, really important is how do we advance that NACI equity statement within our classrooms and equitable play spaces give us such a vast opportunity for that. I think about developing the culturally and linguistically appropriateness of the learning environment. We'll talk a little bit about that today, how um, play spaces have the ability to nurture language or not, and and how do we do that? Actively promoting child's agency, which is where that inquiry piece comes in, because really, if we think about our play environments and our mini lessons and our small group lessons, if we think of everything from an inquiry launch point, we get to see equity develop for itself, which is really important. That scaffolding children's learning to meet meaningful goals. So yes, we're we're targeting that free play, like that unbridled play, but we're also taking opportunities to think about how do I elevate specific content areas and how do I scaffold that for every child in the classroom? And then just our own biases. As we go to design playful environments, our biases impact that. And so we have to really step back and say, and what would all my students do, right? How how would they see this environment and actually engage them in that process 
um, of creating their own environment. All right. Well, I am looking forward to our conversation. I know um, in the reading that I've been doing, that last piece that you just hit on um, kind of examining our own biases um, has been a major emphasis in the uh, updated position statement. So um, I'm excited to kind of hear how you um, reflect on that and think about that when planning those equitable play spaces for young children. But first, I'm wondering, um, there might be some people listening today where, where like inquiry-based learning might not be a familiar term. Can you just kind of um, share a little bit, like how does that look to you? How do you explain that? Um, I could share on that forever, but we'll condense it for today. <laughs> I love that topic. So I think when you think about inquiry, I want you to get a picture in your head first of what is that look of wonder that you capture in kind of a child's expression. If you see that look of wonder, you're probably sitting in a really happy inquiry space. Um, wonder is one of the most powerful tools in our classroom. So how do we elevate that in an early childhood environment? I um, I, bet I follow a lot of Trevor McKenzie's work when you're talking about inquiry um, and then kind of adapt that for um, Sylvia Duckworth does a lot too. And then I've kind of looked at those resources and said, and how do I do that with a three-year-old? <laughs> how do I do that with a four-year-old? And that's how I got um, kind of traveling down this path of inquiry-based learning. So when you think about inquiry-based learning, you're thinking about um, how do I make that equitable? How do I make that accessible to multilingual learners? How do I make sure that children with disabilities have every opportunity to engage in that inquiry process just like everybody else? There are some major factors that I consider. And one of those is that this inquiry is going to feel guided. So how do we, it's kind of like giving the students a gradual release of opportunity and, and um, gradual release of responsibility to say, how do you develop questions? And then actually model that question development with them. I do that through a wonder wall. Wonder wall is one of my favorite launch points for inquiry. Basically, you teach kids how to come up with questions. Um, I know I made that sound easy. It's actually a really messy process, but you <laughs> help students come up with questions about a given topic. So maybe I'm going to be talking about um, astronauts or space science. And so we're going to do some provocation. And provocation is a big part of inquiry where basically I get them thinking about a topic. And when I think about multilingual learners and students with disabilities, I want to make sure that what I'm doing either includes real, yeah, like a real thing, or it includes a video clip um, and then opportunities to discuss and engage around that topic. So if I was talking about space science, for example, I might show a video clip of an astronaut and then maybe everybody's going to try some of the, you know, um, astronaut ice cream or something. And then, and then we're going to engage in some text. So that provocation is going to need to extend to make sure that my multilingual learners, my students with disabilities have multiple opportunities to kind of take that provocation in. And so they would listen to maybe some fiction read aloud, some nonfiction read aloud, but then again, really stemming off of that real yacht or um, video clip approach. Once you do that, they start to develop questions and you keep those on your wall and you go back to those all the time. So I'm going to have my, where this is guided, right? I'm going to have my regular play centers in place, just as normal, my regular interest areas. But then as I read their questions, I'm going to start 
designing my play spaces to kind of help students answer their own questions. So maybe I'm going to put certain books in the library interest area. Maybe in blocks, I'm going to start putting lots of pictures of different spacecrafts and the space station, and they can try to build those. Maybe um, we're going to do some experiments in the Discovery and Science Center, and those will be guided. But they're all going to stem from those questions that students originally developed. When I do that question development, I actually allow students to develop the questions in their home language to the best of my ability or the ability of my of my all of my support staff. Right. So on your wonder wall, you might have two or three language represented if you have the support staff to make that happen. So thinking about that translanguaging piece, because if I can enter inquiry from a point of wonder and my own language of comfort, then I have more ability to engage. So it might even include drawings. There might be some, some questions um, and there might be some drawings. The only rule is, is that the actual question cannot have a yes or no answer. <laughs> so we okay. develop so, that. So you probably support and read like, yeah. prompting to kind of reframe that question in a way that's more open-ended with learners? Tons of support. So it, it's a lot of, um, when we do this, we model it whole group. And then we actually do that question development when they're developing the questions in small groups so that each each child has an opportunity to have an equitable contribution to the Wonder Wall and that I have the ability to scaffold for everyone. So while everybody else is playing, I'm sitting with small groups and where I um, might normally be doing some foundational skills work or something like that, I'm literally scaffolding that question development. And so that's kind of how guided inquiry starts for me with um, little humans is that that wonder wall development. And then we use that as a launch pad as we move through a particular unit. But inquiry can, can stretch really far wide. But if I had one nugget to say, how do I start this with all learners? Wonder walls would be my, my go-to. And right. so the idea is, as they go through that, they're going to explore their questions through their play spaces. You're going to be kind of stacking the deck on your small group and whole group lessons to go back to that wonder wall and try to pull those questions into your teaching. And so that's the very basis of what is guided inquiry. When you think about the assessment piece, you're thinking about, am I assessing um, every opportunity for learning? versus just my set kind of assessment schedule. So you're going to have your regular assessments that you need to do. Everybody does, right? Um, JRDP, teaching strategies, who knows, whatever checklist. But in addition to that, you're spending some really important time playing with students in their centers and looking for growth within, their, within that inquiry piece. Are they asking more questions? Are they going after their own answers? And how do you coach that in their play? So you're going to be, you know, sitting with kids and kind of coaching them a little bit on, oh, we had this question. I wonder if you could explore it this way. Mm -hmm. I can see, too, how that that type and style of curriculum development just gives lots more opportunity um, for children to show what they know in a variety of ways. And so when we go back to that NACI position statement, um, the, the equity, the one that talks about equitable um, student agency, right? Opportunities to make choices in planning. That really ties back to that piece. And what we know about equitable play spaces is 
that children will bring their own backgrounds and their own resources and their own stories into the classroom when you have nurtured that within your relationship building as well as your curriculum development. And so that's where if we start with the questions, we're more likely to get that like authentic, this is my story and that's how it contributes to what we're learning. The other piece that is big in inquiry is um, you have that ability to tap on families and say, oh, we have these questions this week. Um, Who could help us out with that? And maybe they come in as a Zoom, maybe they come in and model something, but it really does allow for that opportunity to engage with families in the community in new ways, um, stemming from their questions. Great. Excellent. I but I just can't help but think about kind of, um, it's been a while since I've been in a classroom, but I keep thinking about the connections here between, I used emergent curriculum as a, a preschool educator. And so, yeah, just very much kind of driven by the children's interests, curiosities, wonders, as you're saying. Um, so, yeah. Where people get kind of nervous, right, is they start to think about, okay, I have the IEP goals that I need to meet. My multilingual learners have specific academic vocabulary they need to develop. I have content centers, especially when we start to move from transition from preschool to kindergarten, right? I have specific content standards I need to meet. Um, And and how am I going to do that if I just let students go? And I think where that's important is that provocation that we talked about is I'm setting the stage with what content I want to happen. Within my mini lessons and my small groups, I'm going to then teach my foundational literacy skills that I need, my my foundational math skills. I'm going to still do that, but my play spaces and the, the, the read aloud choices and the type of where we go in our writing, all of those things can be flexible around those student questions. And so it, it lends that itself to like, I'm not just you know, this isn't follow the leader and I'm just going to frolic through my curriculum. It's mm-hmm. really, that's where that guided piece comes in of like, okay, I'm choosing the content area that I want to focus on or the unit. I'm setting the stage through nurturing that provocation and playing with children to get them interested in the particular topics, right? That we want them to pursue. And something that always comes up is, for my students, for students that have maybe self-regulation difficulties or some challenging behaviors, how do you handle that? And are they just able to do what they'd like? And what you'll start to find is when you give students that space, that increased space, you'll start to see the engagement level will naturally impact the challenging behaviors piece. It will naturally impact self-regulation because they're truly playing this whole time and you're finding ways to assess that play. There's a trade. It'll just keep happening. Um, Assess that play within context, assess the academic skills within the context. And and you're going to find that, but you will find your challenging behaviors and self-regulation needs will decline by the nature of the experience. So if you create wonder that piece is going to get better automatically. That piece is going to improve. And the the biggest way to make sure that happens is to say, as the teacher, is the way I'm nurturing conversations, play, um, engagement, equitable, and how do I know? 
So sometimes something you might think about is after provocation, you're all sitting there and the traditional standard approach might be, what's everybody thinking? And then start to call on kids, right? I mean, that's, that's a go-to. But what happens in that scenario is all of a sudden, if I'm a child with maybe um, slower language processing, or I am a multilingual learner, or I have difficulty, um, maybe I have a speech and language disability, all of a sudden, my engagement decreases because the structure for the classroom doesn't allow me to equitably engage in inquiry. So now every um, social emotional like capacity builder that happens with equity disappears because I wasn't able to engage. And so the other part of that is once you create the wonder, how are you getting everyone to engage equitably. So instead of calling on each student, it might be something like, okay, everybody take a minute to sketch on your whiteboard something that you're thinking about now that we tried the, you know, astronaut ice cream and then give them 30 seconds each to share in partners. Now I've just changed that game. Everybody is equitably engaged. Because once I'm not engaged anymore, then I, I'm going to start to see those behaviors. I'm going to start to see self-regulation issues. And as soon as that happens, inquiry and play start to feel really hard for the teacher, right? All of a sudden, I want to pull back and I want to control more. So if I can figure out how do I implement structured structure within the chaos, right? How do I, how do I implement structured conversation opportunities? How do I make sure that um, the time that the plate spaces are open, that my supporting adults are playing with kids instead of pulling them away from the activities? So if I have a paraeducator, I want to make sure that we have planned together the play spaces so they also realize how do I play with students to nurture play? How do I um, give some space and still support? Because that play, when they're doing that, that's what's going to really intensify the learning. But if not all the adults in the room understand how to nurture play and understand how to elevate academic vocabulary within, for example, Block Center, then I'm going to lose that equitable access. So there's just, you know, we have to structure it so that kids have equitable conversations, so that they have access to everything. And then that other piece is just making sure that all the adults that are interacting with that child, that's the goal, is helping them engage in that inquiry and play process or engage in the read aloud or um, maybe it's even a pre-teaching situation, right? Where if I'm the example speech and language pathologist, maybe they're going to um, pull some of those play pieces ahead or, or some of the maybe provocation. So if I have pictures of the space station and rockets and whatever in blocks, maybe that speech and language path the week before is going to pull those pieces that I'm going to use for provocation so that when it comes time for whole class engagement, that child is ready. So those are just some, I mean, it's, it's a lot and it can go on and on, but those are some of the examples of like, what's the difference between a content-based play center and an equitable 
content-based play center approach. Okay. So much intentionality and reflection and thinking about your, your children in your classroom and how they're experiencing that environment and, and kind of that role that the educators have. There's, I just keep thinking, you know, sometimes we hear like, oh, play, you know, what are children learning through play? And like, I'm, I'm just like hearing your passion and so much of this connection. I'm like, oh, I hope we need everybody to listen to this. One of my favorite examples of that was we were doing a tree study. And um, if you've done creative curriculum, you've done the tree study, right? But um, if you've done anything, you've done nature studies with kids because it's, it's amazing. But we... Um, we did it through an inquiry-based approach, and I had 50% of the class was multilingual learners, so we were doing that in a, in a bilingual kind of translanguaging way, and I watched the kids. We did the provocation, and so the provocation was I brought in different tree parts, right, and we did loose parts play with the different tree parts, and then we did our wonder wall. And first I was just like shock and awe with the questions they came up with. I was amazed. But then when I let them loose outside and the paraeducators had been, you know, um, kind of like prime the pump with the paraeducators of what questions to ask kids as we explored outside, they just let loose. And um, the questions I heard were things that, you know, they'd put their arms around the tree and like, do you think that this tree is bigger than that tree? And, you know, they were trying to compare and feeling the leaves and, oh, this has a rough leaf and this has a smooth leaf. And what kind of animals do you think could live in this tree? What season do you think they could live here? And all of that happened when we went outside because the equitable play spaces inside had like readied us for that, right? So the activity was they were going to use a tape measure and they were going to measure some trees and um, kind of, we're going to make a graph of these trees. But um, when they got out there, it was so expansive. And that's because we had loose parts play and discovery with all the tree parts. And in the block center, um, we had been designing our own tree houses. So also you could hear them, oh, you could put a tree house in this one, or this one's too small for a tree house, you know? And then when they we took our Wonderwall questions out there and we reviewed those before they started, you know, running free in the in the in the park. And so it's just we saw math explode out on the playground. We saw language skills explode. We saw writing skills because they were drawing the trees and trying to label them and, and they really wanted to try to label them because they wanted to name that tree, right? So it was just what we saw in that skill development all happened because everybody planned together and our our play spaces supported the content. All right. Well, wow. There's um there's a lot I think to continue to explore. I'm wondering if there are are you aware like is there an ongoing um group of people or a place where people could go that like this is really like um, got them so the, excited, or maybe they're already doing some inquiry, but they want some like-minded people to talk with and to keep So that. I'm currently working in a couple different districts, but it's exploding all over the place because good news, the research has become very clear that not only does play help us elevate academics, but literally if we don't do it, kids go backwards. So that's the new research out. Um, I will post that on my Twitter. My Twitter is at, Lin, at Um, And I'll make sure 
that Emily has that handle as well. If you follow me there, you'll see upcoming professional development opportunities. There will be in September, just a kind of join as you want conversation group about play where we're going to look at some different resources and just people can kind of engage kind of like a professional learning network around play. There will be some ROE opportunities coming in Illinois. I think I will be trying to push out some digital, like um, more like webinars stuff where people can just kind of engage in their own time. I also push out resources. So you'll find things on my Twitter, like sentence frames that could be used in the fall, or here's some read alouds that prompt play in really good ways. Here's, so you'll kind of see that stuff. So I think if you follow me on Twitter, you will be able to see that. You'll also, I will, I always reshare other people doing the work in the field. So that's probably the best place to kind of engage with me. And also if you kind of type, type in the hashtag, um, play inquiry, you'll also start to see other people. So you might want to consider um, Trevor McKenzie. If you're interested in inquiry work, follow him on Twitter too. He posts so many things. He's also a, he's also a really good poster on Instagram. I'm not as good as he is on there yet. I will, but um, he has found time. Um, I really like the book Purposeful Play as well as saving play. Those are a couple of my favorites. What they don't do as much is dive into that equity piece. But if you follow me, I will keep diving into the equity piece. But as far as the play piece itself, if you're thinking about, um, you know, what kind of text where did I lead, lead from? It was saving play, saving play, purposeful play. Um, I really like there's a book called Loose Parts out there that's really nice. And the reason I mentioned that one particular is because when you're thinking about inquiry-based learning, Loose Parts carries a lot of mileage. It also, Loose Parts play for multilingual learners and students that are navigating speech and language difficulty is just like a natural breeding ground for conversation. So, um, but I will continue to post resources on there. All right, that sounds great. I will definitely put the um, your Twitter handle in our session notes for this podcast for our listeners. And um, yeah, I just want to thank you for um, sharing this information and getting this out to people in Illinois. Well, hopefully, I guess even broader context, but I know we're, we're working hard in Illinois to support this uh, inquiry-based learning and play for sure. So, And I will be presenting at the Texas um, NACI conference on this topic. So um, I don't know if there's a way to engage um, as well as the Illinois Kindergarten Conference. So I don't know if there's a way to engage virtually through the Texas NACI um, conference, but I'll be at those two being able to share these ideas. I appreciate right. being here today, Emily. Great. Thanks yeah. Thank you, me. Lindsay. And um, thanks to our listeners. And as always, if you are interested in having a conversation, you're excited or passionate about DAP, if you're a family member with a um, um child with a disability like and would like to chat with us please reach out I'm always um, looking for people to um, chat with on this podcast series so thanks again everyone and we hope to catch you next time all right thank you bye thank you for listening to this episode of the Starnet regions one and three podcast if you have any questions or concerns, please reach out by emailing starnet at wiu.edu or submit a request by clicking on the Request Services tab on our homepage.